I think the biggest misconception about authenticity or figuring out who you are is that it's a one-time thing. I think a lot of people like find yourself. It's almost like you're going in a closet, picking out an outfit, putting it on, and you're like, now I'm set until I die. And that is just not what happens. Kat Sadler now. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Cat Sadler Now. I am glad you're here. I just want to jump through the airwaves. Yeah, are they airwaves? I don't know what, depending upon where you're listening to this, I want to jump through your phone. I want to jump through your computer. I want to jump through your Sono system and give you a big hug. I feel like, man, everything's so heavy and my heart is heavy. As I'm speaking to you, I just, you know, what's going on in Israel is sickening and horrific and terrible and unsettling. And I just, I don't know if you feel like I do, but I feel like I wish uh, there was some magic wand to just make it all stop. There is so much confusion. There is so much sorrow. There is war. And while I don't pretend to understand the history in that region, I am trying to educate myself currently. What I do know is that peace, peace, peace is the way and war is, is just terrible. I mean, that's the obvious. And so there's just a lot going on. I was talking with my son, Austin, about this today because it was just like, ugh. You know, between what happened in Hawaii recent months with those fires, we're thinking about the fires in Canada at the moment, with thinking about the war in Ukraine right now, there's just, it seems like more and more crippling news and everybody's affected by that, obviously. And then, you know, to have an event or a series of atrocities like what's happening right now in Israel and in Gaza to compare this to like America's 9-11 at that scale of devastation. Like, I don't know how you can't be sad about that. So I don't want you to come here and get bummed out. Um, But what I do want to do is just acknowledge that it's hard for me to not acknowledge what is going on in the world in a really real, real way. And it's hard for me to not acknowledge the people in severe pain and the people down the street and in our neighborhoods and right here in our zip codes who have family and friends who are traumatized by everything that's happening. So I love you and my heart goes out to you. And it's interesting today I have on a guest who I adore. You may be one of her millions of followers on Instagram. She is known as the Millennial Therapist. And I've followed her for a long time and I really enjoy her teachings. She is an existential psychotherapist. And it's interesting that today I'm sharing this interview and conversation with you because really what we discuss is 
how we can heal ourselves. She wrote a book recently called It's On Me, and it's really navigating all of the ways in which we do have the power within each of us to create the lives that we want. And I just think it's interesting because when I get overwhelmed by wanting to save the world, you know, it's like when I traveled to Africa, you know, some 10 years ago, and I felt so defeated afterwards because I felt like none of my work there on the ground was really making a dent because the problems are so big and how can you fix it? And you just, you, you like me, might want to just make this grand change and, and, and you know that is impossible. And so it can be very debilitating. So if you are feeling at all helpless about what you can do right now in the middle of this these terrible headlines, it doesn't mean that we don't care about the lack of humanity, right? But anyway, I, I'm glad to bring in this conversation because this is a way we can do some work, right? We can work on ourselves. We can make peace with our past. We can put ourselves first and heal ourselves. And they say as we work on ourselves and we heal ourselves, we attract and become closer to others and we become more understanding of others and we become more compassionate to others when we have done the work on ourselves. So some great tangible advice in this conversation. I'm going to let you hear from her. I'm so happy to have had this exchange with Sarah Kubrick the millennial therapist. I hope you check out her book. It's on me. Enjoy. You describe yourself, Sarah, as an existential psychotherapist. So will you just start off by telling us what, what does that mean exactly? Yeah, I love that. I know it's a mouthful. An existential therapist just means the type of therapy I practice is rooted in existential philosophy. So every therapist, when they have a client come in, has a philosophical framework through which they understand the problem and the solution. And mine is just rooted in existentialism. So I focus a lot on responsibility and meaning and authenticity and death and isolation and all these super upbeat topics. <laughs> <laughs> I know I was actually just joking with a former guest. I was like, gosh, you know, the deeper I go into my own exploration of personal development and growth, the more and more my podcast is starting to sound like a real downer, but it's not. It's like, it's an opportunity, mm -hmm. I think, right? For people to go, ah, I do want to awaken. I do want tools, but it can kind of seem as if it's framed in like really heavy things. But that's the truth, right? Life is, yeah, I was just going to say life is heavy. And I think whenever something is too neatly packaged, to me, that's just not the truth because we all live our realities. We understand how messy and how hard it is. And so why would a podcast, why would a book be so neatly packaged? If it does that, then it doesn't reflect reality anymore. And then I am not really interested in it anymore. So mm. I love what, I mean, the direction you're taking with your podcast. I think that that's <laughs> great. Well, thanks. It's a long, far departure from my roots in entertainment news, let me tell you. But I find it much more gratifying. So I'm glad that people are on this road with me. And to your point, I think... 
life is messy and and tricky and so many people it seems maybe it's just cuz i'm just now on this journey but it does seem people are seeking today and there are many, many reasons for that. And I and I want to get into It's On Me and, and your latest offering. But tell us just a little bit about yourself because you, I understand, moved around quite a bit when you were young. You were mm-hmm. raised in a pretty turbulent environment, moving, mm-hmm. war-torn conflict, like all of that. And then came to grow up and really be interested in psychology as a whole. So where did all of this come from? Yeah, no, great question. I don't think I ever thought about being something other than a psychotherapist. And people are like, when was that moment? And I was like, I don't actually remember. And I think a lot of it stems from just my background. As you said, you know, I was born in Bosnia right before the conflict there. Then we moved to Serbia and another conflict arose and then we immigrated to Canada. And those were really pivotal moments in my life. And I always talk about feeling like my I was robbed of my childhood. And I think that's true. There's really no other way of explaining that, of like that wonderful bliss and ignorance and believing the world is a safe space and that people just want what's best for one another. And you know, sharing is caring kind of attitude. That is not something I ever grew up with and I had to mourn later on. And so I think when I was quite young, I started reading, you know, Dostoevsky and Tolstoy and all these Russian authors who had kind of a an anchoring in existentialism without realizing it. Like I had no idea what existentialism was, but I knew that that literature spoke more closely to my life experiences than anything I was reading in North America that was published for my age group. And so I think I always gravitated towards this kind of philosophy and really the curiosity of like, who are people? Why do we do the things that we do? What are we capable of? Where is free will? And then I found myself in psychology and then I figured out that was like a specialization. I got really excited and I felt like it deeply resonated with my own life experiences and what started off as kind of a, I want to figure out how people work slowly turned into how can I alleviate some of the suffering that we're all experiencing? Mm, I love that so much. You know, that's similarly, and, and I guess a little differently also, that's why I wanted to get into journalism initially was just the, my overall fascination with the human spirit. But you've taken it one step mm. further. I, I liked learning people's stories, but you like helping and finding solutions mm. for people. And you know, we live in this time where people are seeking and they maybe want to awaken or they're starting a healing journey. And your your new book starts at the very beginning with you kind of describing a really personal, your first, I believe, panic attack and what that yeah. felt like in the middle of an airport. So can you take us through that moment and kind of the, the impetus for you uh, starting your own work? Yeah. And, you know, I didn't start my work till my mid twenties. And I think all the things that happened in my childhood placed me in a survival mode that wasn't conducive to (laughs) self-awareness. I replaced one for the other. And I think once we left the threat, once we left the wars, once, you know, my, my family kind of adjusted to being Canada, I still didn't let my guard down. And I was still very much in survival mode. And that meant I, I operated from an autopilot, which led to so many decisions 
that were not authentic. One of them, you know, I talk about getting married really young. I, I talk about being an overachiever at school. And although that's still like, you know, a personality trait a little bit, I just feel like there were so many ways that I was just coping and checking life's checklists. I wasn't really experiencing or living or checking in. And so what happened is there's this moment where anyone could look at me and go, oh, she has it all together. She's married. She's in grad school. She's doing really well. She has a community. She's giving back. She looks a certain way, whatever it is. And that was the moment where I completely broke down. And I think part of why that was the moment is because I was like, okay, all of these things will make me feel something. They'll, they'll solve the problem. They'll make me feel fulfilled. I think subconsciously, I was also hoping that this checklist was kind of solve my life. And I think at that airport, I kind of realized that it didn't. And I think it was the first time that my body went, okay, you have tried it your way for so long. And I think if you keep going, you're going to experience something like an existential death. There's just such a little light still there within you. I think it was the most loving thing my body has ever done for me was get me off that plane, give me that panic attack. And don't get me wrong, it was the scariest moment of my life. But I think if I didn't experience something so visceral, so threatening, I wouldn't have made, I wouldn't have created a change because I think so many of us wait for the rock bottom, wait for things to be so terrible that they can't get any worse before we consider doing something because the discomfort of doing something is so great. And so I'm just like, anyone else who has experienced that. And my rock bottom was on an airplane. Oh my gosh. So many people can relate to this idea of who am I asking themselves all these deep questions, especially women my age, I will have to say, you know, in, a, in midlife, you know, I talk with a lot of middle-aged women who are still asking ourselves that question. You know, we yeah. often think it's a 20 something question. Unless you do the work, you'll probably end up asking yourself that question again and again and again. You know, I have two, well, I have a 22-year-old son and he's kind of throwing those questions my way. What's my purpose? Maybe I don't know what to do with my life. All of these questions, but I, here I am with a lot of 40-something-year-old, 50-something-year-old women waking up again for the first time, having raised their kids, asking those same questions like, wait a minute, I spent 20 years doing it one way. What about me? Who is the real me? All these kind of very yeah. valid questions. Yeah. I think the biggest misconception about authenticity or figuring out who you are is that it's a one-time thing. I think a lot of people like find yourself. It's almost like you're going in a closet, picking out an outfit, putting it on. And you're like, now I'm set until I die. And that is just not what happens. And if that's our perception of authenticity, we're going to be really disappointed because that authenticity we curate will only be relevant for so long. And as we change and evolve, so will your perception of your authenticity. And I think, who am I? is a ever evolving question that you answer through the way that you live your life. It's not a one-time thing, especially with transitions. I know that 20 year olds were always like, yeah, that is the time to do it. And I remember someone speaking to me and being like, I was so ashamed when I was 30 and couldn't answer the question because I felt like that was a 20 year old battle that I have somehow lost. And I went, 
No, I think this question becomes more and more relevant. And through every transition, this is a question that we should be asking ourselves. And it's not pathological. It's not bad. This is a very healthy thing to do. Reevaluate your own existence through every single stage and make sure that it's serving you. I love that so much. And that's so, so true. All right, my friends, are you ready to have your best fall yet? Well, then listen up. I invite you once again to invest in your health. You could do this with Saqqara's plant-rich to ready-to-eat meals. Their very flexible nutrition programs are backed by more than 10 years of science. They're designed to help you optimize your health, which I'm banging on about all the time on this show. You can do this nutrient by nutrient, literally bite by bite. You've got seasonal dishes, new dishes like the Root to Rise barbecue flatbread, which is Oh my God, I'm obsessed. It is so delicious. Another crowd favorite is the cacao chip plus the almond waffles. Haven't tried those yet. I need to. All of this though helps support your digestive health, enhances your metabolic efficiency. That's a bonus. And even nourishes radiant skin without feeling like you're on a stinking diet. You know what I mean? It's convenient. It comes to your door. When I'm getting my Saqqara meals religiously, I just feel better. Firstly, my energy is so even. I don't crash. I feel a sense of self-love because I'm just stepping into my power knowing that I'm making good choices for my body. My skin looks great. I sleep better. Guys, if you haven't tried it, not sure what you're waiting for because I even have a discount for you. Sakara delivers science-backed plant-rich nutrition programs and wellness essentials right to your door. Their organic, ready-to-eat meals are nutritionally designed to help you optimize your well-being with results that you can see and that you can feel from digestive wellness and eased bloat to enhanced metabolic health energy, and safe weight management. Right now, my Cats Adler Now listeners, you guys get 20% off your first order if you go to sakara.com slash cat or enter the code cat at checkout. That's sakara, S-A-K-A-R-A dot com slash cat for 20% off your first order. Sakara.com slash cat. So in this new offering of yours, It's On Me, what is the overall philosophy of the book that we take responsibility for answering some of those questions? And how did you get to that title and that theme for your book? It's so funny to notice how many times I say that phrase in the book. (laughs) And when I was writing it, I didn't necessarily realize, but I think the point is empowerment. It's not pointing fingers. It's saying like, It's on you to live the life you want. And if you have managed to create a life you don't want, that should also be comforting. You created it, which means you get to create something different now. And I, the whole premise of the book is taking responsibility for maybe feeling lost and how we have contributed to that phenomenon. And then to creating a life and a sense of self that we can actually respect, like, and maybe one day even love. Why do you think today in 2023, so many people are familiar with that feeling of being lost, 
of yeah. being on a hamster wheel in life like you, like maybe even having, you know, s- certain pinnacles reached and certain levels of achievement and still still feeling empty or lost or uncertain. That is a very familiar feeling to so many people. So many people. I think part of it is because society has somehow approved um, for other people to curate our sense of self. And then we're like, okay, you want me to become this? Ta-da! And yet that's not who we are. So we're going to feel that way. And I think, you know, if you want to talk about social media and all the input and the stimuli and, and the fact that we just consume it and we don't know what to do with it, all of that plays a role in it. But I also think another reason is that people are achieving goals much faster now than ever before. And I think when you reach a goal, that is when most people have a crisis. They go, okay, I did it. I think when you have a goal, you're like, great, I have something to work towards. That's my entire focus. I'm going to be a good mother. I'm going to get that promotion. I'm going to make X amount of money. And then you do it and you go kind of like the feeling I had. Okay, is this it? Is this all there is? Is this all I am? And I think part of it is because those goals never aligned with us in the first place. I think as long as goals aren't actually meaningful, we're going to come to the end and have a little bit of a crisis. I also think in relationships, we get lost so, so often. That's something we don't talk about enough, in my opinion, of like how to preserve your sense of identity when you're with someone for a short or long period of time. And people just don't, you know, we haven't been, I wish in high school we had an education course that was like boundaries, communication, how to preserve autonomy and freedom in relationships. That would have been great, probably a lot more helpful than the things I learned. So I think we're just poorly educated is part of part of the problem as well. And we didn't see our parents model this kind of behavior. Gosh, that's such a good point. You're such a good point. I mean, you learned how to balance your checkbook, but that isn't even nobody even writes checks anymore, right? Like there's so many interpersonal things that people just were not taught or given permission to really explore at all. Um, Thank God for podcasts and books, because that's how people are, you know, learning these things today. What is self-loss and why is that a good thing or a necessary thing, I should say, I guess? I think recognizing it can be like a clean slate. (laughs) You're like, okay, I actually don't know what's happening. Let me start over. And sometimes I think that's very necessary. So self-loss is self-estrangement. It's lack of attunement or congruency with who we perceive ourselves to be. So uh, I don't know if you've ever done something and then went, I have no idea why I did that, or that is so unlike me. Or like, I thought I was this kind of person, but my actions are showing me that I'm a very different type of person. How do I reconcile that? And I think there's a lot of those moments of like, I'm lonely. I am so lonely. I'm surrounded by people and I'm still so lonely. And I don't feel like anyone truly understands me. And part of that is also just not truly understanding yourself. So self-loss can manifest in so many ways. And I think that I talk about authenticity as like the surface of the water and then being inauthentic is like diving in. And so you're swimming around, but you're very aware where the surface is. You're like, if I need to pop back to my authentic self, if I need to get my shit together, I very much know what's right, what's wrong, what fits me, what doesn't. Self-loss is like being in a riptide where you're just being tossed around and you have absolutely no idea where the surface is. 
I think it's that feeling of like fear and threat to your existence in terms of like, I really don't know who I am. And sometimes people, you know, discover that by realizing they can't make basic decisions. If I go make a decision based on your value, they're like, I don't know what my value is. And so I think it's just realizing that this person that you're with all the time has become a stranger to you. Mm. And I think that that's a very unnerving sensation to go through. I think one of the ways people lose connection with their selves is self-betrayal and lying to oneself. That's a big one for Mm -hmm. me. If I put my hands up and and I admit that, I think so many of us are, are guilty of that for a myriad of reasons, sometimes just culturally, societally, sometimes within our own family systems, like the relationships you're speaking of, all of the toxic, bad relationships that we, unfortunately, many of us have been a part of and contributed to. But I think that's when I really noticed this pattern of self-betrayal and lying to myself and accepting Mm. certain behavior that I knew I shouldn't. I loved myself more than this. I had, you know, more self-worth, but I didn't anyway. And then you get on this loop of just betraying oneself, betraying oneself. And then it's like you said, then you wake up and you're like, where did I go? Where did my inner compass go? Where did my inner spirit? It was like drowning. And it's, you've got to go and retrieve that in many, in many ways. Why is self-betrayal such a, a, a tough one to not take part in, but it's so important that we don't. I think so many of us prioritize external things over internal things. And I think as long as our priorities reflect that, we're going to behave that way. So if you think belonging to to or with someone else is more important than belonging to yourself, that's how you're going to behave because that is the rational thing to do. You're like, I'm accomplishing this goal. So sometimes we need to go, okay, what is the underlying belief here that's making the betrayal so easy? And that's mm-hmm. making it rational because in reality, you're not being irrational. You are trying to get something you so desperately want, which is love usually, belonging, sense of worth, all the things that you naturally should want. And yet it's that belief that then makes us put our energy into, you know, self-betrayal rather than self-ownership. And I also think it's something that we've seen modeled over and over again in media, in our parental relation. Like, it's so rare to see someone not betray themselves. And I do understand that there is, you know, difficulty between compromise and betrayal. But I do think that it just comes too naturally to too many of us. And we need to really Mm -hmm. reflect of like, why is this person, why is this relationship more important than the relationship I have with myself? And therein lies boundaries. We hear this word a lot now. It used to, I think, I mean, I don't know if it used to be a dirty word. I remember I was on a date with a guy once and I, this was after my my really shitty relationship. And I was like, I'm the new me and I'm, I'm drawing lines in the sand and I'm not going to, I'm going to pay attention to those red flags now for the first time. I'm not going to have another date if it doesn't agree with me, like all these things. And I remember using the word boundaries with this guy. I was like, and I, I think he even just grabbed my arm. He was like, even in my physical space too soon. And I was just like, ah, I've learned what boundaries are. And I remember he like threw that in my face and was so like, oh, you and the girls with boundaries. You know, it was one of those like, needless to say, I didn't see that guy anymore. I know, terrible. I got to put into practice all of those things I've been working on. But Mm -hmm. 
But boundaries are such an empowering, an empowering thing, but often difficult for people to implement if they're not used to, to it. Totally. So what are some ways that we can, you know, work with boundaries that will serve us? So I think the one thing we miss in the boundary communication or education, I will say, is the fact that boundaries have to be rooted in your sense of self. Otherwise, they're just arbitrary rules that you think you should follow. And they're incredibly ineffective and they're not going to do what they're meant to do. And I think I see boundaries as an outline of yourself. So if you think of drawing yourself, it would be the outline. And I think what most people don't know is where their self begins, where the other person ends, and they don't know where the outline is. So what they're doing is they're going on Instagram, they're reading a self-help book, they're going, great, this sounds like a really practical boundary. I'm going to try it. And there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. I just think we need to talk about context and we need to talk about alignment and making sure that our boundaries actually reflect who we are. So in the book, what I talked about is I needed to show myself to people, but instead of telling them facts about me, instead of giving them like my sad story of my childhood, instead of divulging all these things, I realized like these people don't deserve that kind of vulnerability. So what I'm going to do is I'm just going to give them boundaries. So in the book, I list, I think like 15 boundaries about Sarah or 15 boundaries I used to have. And then I asked the reader, do you feel like you know me better? The answer would be yes, because boundaries are information about who I am. If you listed out 20 of your boundaries, I'm pretty sure that would be so informative for someone. And I think that that's how we need to start, you know, using boundaries as like information and an outline of our being rather than arbitrary rules. I also think that boundaries are a love language to yourself and to the other person. And so I think a lot of reframing needs to be done before boundaries become actually effective and can become something that is more natural, more authentic, rather than like, I'm get, and there's nothing wrong. Like I've done that where I'm like, okay, I'm going to try this boundary. And that's great. Like that's such a great start. But what you want it to do is become a part of who you are and be a representation of who you are rather than just like, I know I should be saying this, so I'm just going to kind of say it. Mm, that makes so much sense. It's more personal and more true in that sense and more effective, I'm sure. Can you give an yeah. example of, of what some of your personal boundaries are that you write about? I think I said one of my boundaries was, I don't appreciate you making rude comments about my heritage or no, thanks. I'm not interested in camping or you go grab the salad. I'll grab the croissant. Let's meet up. Or you know, there there are so many things because I was talking about the assumptions people made about me and these boundaries were like a representation of like, yes, I grew up in the Pacific Northwest, but I didn't like hemp smoothies and I didn't like camping and I didn't and people really wanted me to be this like really outdoorsy version that like fit in this like we're all by a campfire wearing plaid and like this is what we should be doing. And part of my boundaries were going, I don't find myself in that. I, I really, I, I, if when I did it, I, I didn't recognize myself. I didn't enjoy it. And so part of me stepping back was like, I enjoy Paris Fashion Week 
And I enjoy, I enjoy all these things. And when you mock them, it hurts me because you're not mocking a, a hobby. You're hurting how I perceive myself. And so some of my boundaries were super arbitrary. Some of them weren't. One of them was, please stop asking when I will have children. I'm not interested in having children. If that changes, I will let you know. That's a more powerful boundary. And I think that lets people know a lot about me. That's a very vulnerable boundary, but one I've had to set over and over again. Even nowadays, people are like, you'll change your mind. That just can't be right. Why would you ever say that? And, you know, it's a boundary that I've been setting since I was 20 years old of like, this is not a discussion we're having. I don't want any children. If that changes, I will let you know. I will let you know. We will send out a tweet, (laughs) y'all. Yeah, exactly. Hello, world. Sarah's having a kid. (laughs) We have to talk about social media because so much of your popularity and your following has come from, you know, platforms uh, on the internet. I mean, what a what a wild yeah. way today to grow a business, <laughs> to build a business, to make money. It's phenomenal. I mean, listen, I am here for it. I was in TV for many, many, many years. And if it weren't for a website and social media, I can monetize now. I actually pay my bills, thank goodness, for, you know, the, the digital world that we have. So in that, there's this part of your book that also talks about performing. And it's it, it can be difficult, I think, for all of us to be performing in a way or wearing a mask to some degree or showing up in ways that we think either mm-hmm. serves our audience or serves ourselves mm-hmm. or is a mean to an end. And there are, are many reasons that people are... And again, probably losing touch with their authentic selves because of this mm-hmm. pressure that social media can create. So how have you navigated social media in a way that has remained honest for you and that has felt safe and authentic to yourself as a businesswoman and a therapist? Yeah, that's a great question. I think when I first started, I had this moment of like, what should Sarah the therapist be like? Like, what are the problems I'm going to pick and choose and talk about? Like, what am I going to be known for? Like, it was such a like, you know, because that's what everyone tells you to do. They're like, everybody's branding. You're branding, right? So they're like, brand, pick pick a topic, go into it. And it's like, what will your voice sound like? And I remember sitting there being like, what does my voice sound like? What a crazy question. Like, I don't know what my voice sounds like. What do you mean? And then I think really early on, I came to a realization that that was not fun at all. Curating this fake version of yourself is so exhausting. So when people burn out from social media, I think a lot of that goes to just doing something that it's not 100% aligning with them. And I think also social media is so demanding. So you need boundaries and all that good stuff. But I do think that, I kind of came from it in a place of I'm going to offer you information in a way that I understand it. And through my own understanding, you will hear my voice. I'm not saying this is the objective truth. I'm telling you, like, this is how I understand this piece of information. This is what I've been thinking about. Let's connect over that. And I think when I set that sort of boundary, it's been really lovely. Like, of course, I know that relationship folks always do better. So once in a while, I'm like, Sarah, you need to you need to offer that to the public but i think that's also an understanding that like that everyone has relationships so it's relevant to absolutely everyone and so of course those posts will do better and so it's not that i'm pretending i'm sitting here i'm like i don't look at my likes i don't know what does better of course i do and yet 
I have this rule with myself that if it stops being fulfilling for me, I'm going to stop doing it. Not because I'm selfish, not because I don't care about helping people. I will find a different way to do that. But I also refuse to pour my life and energy into something that is meaningless for me or that doesn't represent me. And so I think I go back and forth on what that means. And that's like a daily evaluation. But I very much am trying to just enjoy the space. And hopefully people will resonate with that and people will like that and people will engage with that. And I think the audience can tell when something's kind of bullshit. I think like we all can. And so I think as long as you're liking it, I remember once doing a post or it was a story and I said, I have nothing profound to say today. And I feel the pressure to say something. So I'm telling you that I have nothing to say today. And my audience was like, so, and this was a couple of years ago, they were so lovely. And so they're like, you don't have to say something every day. And it was just like, yeah, let's connect about the fact that like, it's hard to come up with stuff all the time. And so I just, I found that honesty in most circumstances, if not all is the best policy. And that's kind of how I'm approaching it. And with putting yourself out there with this book, I mean, has the process yeah. been liberating, easy, difficult? You know, were you banging your head against the wall? It's so many decisions to be made. So many yeah. cooks in the kitchen, I'm sure. You've got publishers, you've got publicists, you got, you know, yeah. opinions. So what was that process like for you? I mean, I'm hella stubborn. <laughs> <laughs> so, I, <laughs> so I feel like I'm either writing my truth or I'm not writing, right? And of course, you have to take into consideration of like, other experts in the field, like your publisher, who's like, this is how this type of stuff is often received. And I am by no means pretending that I know the best way to write a book. But I think what was really important to me, it was to like stay true to why I started writing the book in the first place. And I do think there's a bit of like, you know, when you write, you're like, this is great. This is shit. This is great. This is shit. <laughs> and then, you know, and, and then you find your middle where you're like, this is me. And that's, I think the biggest compliment I got so far was my sister read it for the first time. And she went, she closed and she went, this is the most Sarah thing I've ever read. And I think like that made me so happy because she's like, you know, I see you on Instagram and that's great, but like your personality can't fully shine through. It's short content. And so someone being like, I so deeply recognize you through this book was so validating for me and from someone that's so close to me. And so I, I'm very proud of this book. I think it's the, the best thing I've ever done. It's the most vulnerable I've ever been, which obviously when you write it, you're like, yeah. And now that the book's coming out in a week, I'm like, oh my God, I feel like I'm naked streaking through like Times Square where it's like, you know, the the, the offerings that you give become so much more real. And I, I'm very excited about it. But it definitely, I think a book is a very vulnerable thing, especially if you talk about your own personal experiences. And in general, people, you know, now the public can agree or disagree or rip it apart or praise it. And it's a very strange position to be in, but I just have to be happy with the fact I love it and then hope that the right people will love it too. As someone who dispenses advice and now, you know, you've got this book and you're guiding people through their own lives. Are there things that you do on a daily practice or regimen to kind of keep yourself right so that you are kind of at least striving to be your best in, in these different buckets, if you will, of being authentic and having your boundaries mm. and knowing who you are and still maintaining meaning in your life and stuff? Are there certain tangible practices that you could share with anybody out there listening? 
I think alone time is a huge one for me. I think just quieting the world a little bit or like I used to eat lunch and work (laughs) or eat lunch and have a meeting or eat lunch always with someone or watch a show and eat lunch. And I think I realized I wasn't really paying attention to like what I was in eating, how it was making me feel, what my body was saying. I wasn't taking that moment midday to just be with myself. So that's the most tangible life-changing thing that's happened in the last two months where I was like, I'm just going to be bored. And that's what it feels like because we're so stimulated. Instead of going my phone, I'm like, no, you're going to sit here for freaking 15 minutes, stare at your burger, salad, what sushi, whatever it is, and just eat it and notice what it's like to eat it. And so I think that's been really, really grounding for me. And I still struggle sometimes to do it alone time. And then on kind of the same you know, spectrum of that is I, I feel like I have the best people surrounding me. I have, I'm very blessed with the community I have and the, the close relationships I nurture. And so I used to hold it all in. And I think I'm learning to reach out, connect, even if I don't feel like it, I know it's good for me. So, you know, I'll reach out to a friend and be like, how's your day? (laughs) Just because I, I like, I realized that that does fill me up even if I'm too lazy to do it. And so it's just like learning the things that feel so good that, that feed you with energy, the feed your kind of soul and essence, and then going and doing that. And for me, it was just, you know, letting my pride down, getting the support I need, learning to be bored and more intentional with my body. Yes. Learning to be bored. That one comes up a lot. I, I've heard that a lot lately. I think especially again with all of the the dopamine dripping and the cortisol releasing and all of the, you know, it's a wild, you know, world that we live in. If you don't protect yourself, then you don't, you can't operate. And sometimes being bored is just mm-hmm. such a gift if you can learn to do that a little bit. Very difficult, especially for people who are are addicted to moving and hustling and producing and doing. That can be a real exercise, but it really, really can be helpful. I know that from experience and kind of going through my own healing journey in the last couple of years. But I wanted to ask you about relationships a little bit because you mentioned that, and I know you're you're known for that, and 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 mm-hmm. like who doesn't have questions about relationships all the time? And I'm just thinking about all of my single friends and single family members and people I know that I think would love a partner in their life, but do not have one Mm -hmm. or uh, maybe are recently divorced and have to start over. Like, is there, is there one relationship bit of advice or something that you see that's kind of rampant that you could help people listening with in that, you know, what's the one thing people are just really, they're getting it wrong. And that's why maybe they're not meeting their person. Okay. So one thing we're all getting wrong is that being single is worse than being in a shitty relationship. That is wrong. Being single is not the worst thing that can happen to you. We all act like being single is the worst thing that can happen to us. And it's just not true. Being in an abusive, toxic, unhealthy, or even just unfulfilling relationship is oftentimes worse. And I don't know, I've been in those. And you know what? Being single has also been better than that. So I just, I really want to take away that pressure of like, you can have a very fulfilling life and slowly look for that person. You do not, you, you do not need that person 
to now have a fulfilling life. It's, it's again, that unrealistic goal. You're going to wake up one day and then grieve the fairy tale, the fact that having a partner to not solve all your problems, that you still hate your body, that you're still overworking, that you're still, right? Like, I think we hope that this one person will just like eat the cherry on top of the cake, but we haven't really baked the cake. And so I think I, I just want to take that pressure off of like, have a fulfilling life, do the things you want to do. And obviously if this is important to you, take your time and be intentional about it. So that's yeah. the first thing I want to say. Love that. <laughs> Love okay. that. Unless you know who you are, you're going to have a hard time finding someone that aligns with you. I always say, who is this person having a relationship with? It's also really confusing for them because you are a projection of yourself, a inauthentic version of yourself, a self-betrayal version of yourself that is trying to be who they want you to be. And I, I think for healthy relationships to occur, of course, you're not going to, you know, always have a solid sense of self. And I'm not saying you need to like reach this perfection and self-actualization. But what I am saying is like, you need to know who you are before you know what fits. And so many of us want to skip that step. And it's like, yeah, you're, you're fighting against you know, you're fighting about money because you haven't talked about your values. And so now that the, the way you spend money is coming up and it's really, you know, it's because you didn't know what your values were and that's not a conversation that was had. And so I think it's just so important if you can solidify that sense of self, know how to communicate that sense of self. And that is usually very helpful. It doesn't mean that all of a sudden you attract the perfect partner, but when they come, you'll be more likely to recognize them. And I want to tell everybody for more of that advice and really good inspirational nuggets all the time, your social media is great. They can follow you on Instagram. I just want to ask you, lastly, you open your book, it's on me, with this question, are you happy? You know, this was at a moment mm -hmm. in your life. Are you happy? So I guess I would just leave you by asking, how, how would you answer that today? Are you happy? I'm so happy. <laughs> and I think there's something scary about being this happy because you're like, fuck, there's only one way to go after this. Like, you know, and I just feel very proud in terms of like, I've worked very hard to get from the girl who was that deeply unhappy and deeply hated herself to the version I am now. And that's something that I want to honor. I want to talk about because that was a lot of work. And I also want to encourage others that that is the work that everybody can do. And so am I happy in this moment? Yes. Is everything perfect? No, <laughs> but am mm -hmm. I still happy? Yeah, I am. Oh, you know what? You are radiating. I believe you. I, oh. I see your happiness. It Thank shows. You. So are you happy? I have to ask. Oh, Come on. Oh, this has to so be reciprocal. Nice. That is so nice. I will answer that question with I'm happier than I've been in a very long time. And I guess I I like you I I hesitate to be like it's conclusive because I know that I'm still working and will forever be working. And I actually enjoy doing the work. So no, mm. is everything perfect? Am I, would I be lying if I said, oh, I'm happy and that's that. And let's call it a day. And that's a big wrap yeah. on life. No, 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 no. But I am happy and I'm happier than I've ever been. Do I still have insecurities? Absolutely. Am I hypercritical mm. of myself? Probably. That's an area that I work on a lot, but I am 
I'm in a better relationship with self than I've ever been, which is why your book appeals to me so much. And I think your message is so important for people. And I want other people to know what this feels like because Mm. I, I did go in instead of continuously going out for some type of validation or fulfillment or completion of myself. And so it was a lot of therapy and it was a lot of journaling and it was a lot of moving my body and processing old shit. And, and, but mostly, mostly I can say being true to myself. And there were many, many years when I wasn't doing that. And I didn't have the tools to do that. And I was operating in some generational cycles. And I I, I got to really just dig in. Thank God for a pandemic. Who would have thought to yeah. do work I, I, I desperately needed to do? And so that's why I can say, yeah, I am for sure happier today than I have been in a very, very long time. Oh, that makes me so happy. And I think that's like such a motivating feeling. And I think that probably fuels your work and it fuels mine where I'm like, I want people to feel this. Like it's so powerful and everyone deserves to feel this way. Yes, I couldn't agree more. And that's why I'm so happy that we crossed paths. You guys, thank you so much for hanging out with me on Cat Sadler Now. Don't forget to rate and review the show and make sure you're subscribed or following so you never miss an episode. It sure is a beautiful day. I'll see you next time. the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.